This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hello, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Misa. Hi, I'm Julie. Hello, I'm Terrence. And we're going to talk about the Pirates of Erzatz. I think I said that right. Uh, or the Pirates of Zan. And uh, I've seen a few other uh, translation titles that change the title a little bit. Um, why is it called the Pirates of Erzatz? Because there's no planet named Erzatz. <laughs> this, uh, I, I really like that title, but I don't know why it's called that exactly. Really? Well, because uh, well, Erzatz means an inferior substitute. I mean, our main character may come from a pirate planet, may be descended from pirates, but he, he, he he's very reluctant pirate. So he's kind of like, yeah, he, he, he falls into piracy as a substitute for what he wants to really do, which is engineering. Yeah. He's yeah. a terrible pirate, really. But, he's a great pirate. Oh yeah. But, but backwards. he backs he's into just, all of yeah, it. Yeah. He, he, he falls into it. So he's just, so it's a substitute right. for what he really wants to do. Therefore the pirates are for Zatz. Yeah, and yeah, German re- translation is replacements, replacement part, which makes sense all the way through the book. But uh, what about, uh, I was thinking that the pirates of Hersatz are actually the Darth. Yeah, so they're replacement pirates. Because they don't want to be... Well, they don't want to be pirates. But they're not even and, really pirates, they're just, they're they're like actors, basically. That's so fun, and also right. the... the, the People of um, Walden pirating themselves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I notice also that uh, the title Pirates of Zan doesn't make as much sense because <laughs> even though Pirates of Erisat doesn't make a lot of sense, the, the Pirates of Zan don't enter into the story until quite late. Right. Well, but think I, I, I about like, it. The reason the title's perfect. The reason he left the Zan was because the pirates weren't actually really pirating. They were having to do all this regular boring farming and regular civilization in order to maintain their piracy life. So that's part of the – he wanted adventure. He wanted to be an engineer. And I was going to say you mentioned a cover um, last time maybe where he's got a slide roll in his teeth. Mm -hmm, That's that's not because that's how they think they ran a starship. That's because he wanted to be an engineer. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I, I was thinking how Which is hilarious that that cover makes no sense. Uh, you know, he's in outer space. There's no rigging, but actually, that's not rigging, is it? That's the to climb into the into the the boat. They're right. they're docked on the on the planet at the spaceport. So oh, that yeah. does make sense. And that's a stun pistol in his hand, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which makes a lot more sense. I actually read this book. Uh, I don't know, 10 years ago, um, I, I wrote about it and I don't remember oh, writing about it. I don't remember reading it. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, no. I compared it to some other things. <laughs> kind of forgettable, but I, I enjoyed it. It uh, is not. I love it. It's fun. It's fun. It's it, fun. But it's not forgettable. Uh, if you like comic novels, and I do. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you, Paul. This novel has kind of reminded me of two things in two very different directions. One, it kind of reminded me of the Incomplete Enchanter because it's got that yeah. it's got that sort of sensibility as like characters thrown into increasingly absurd situations and having to paddle their way through it. Although it's a completely different genre, he's not going into the other worlds. He's not dealing with magic. He's dealing. He's basically dealing with technology and weird 
feudal customs and all sorts of things. The other novel this reminded me of, and I just listened to this recently just for the heck of it, although that's a much more serious look at piracy in space, is H.B. Piper's Space Viking, mm. which is all about, okay, this, this, this guy stole, stole my bride and she died, and I'm going to start a space Viking empire and get revenge on him. So that's a much more, right. that's a darker novel. This, this is life and frothy. That was like, Oh God, we're going to, we're <laughs> going to rape the spaceways because this guy killed my bride sort of. Right. So it's, it's, a, it's like, it's kind of between the two poles of comic fun and space piracy. You get this. So yeah, yeah. really entertaining um, that way. Very. I, it reminded me of something completely, absolutely had nothing to do with it. Which was? Did anybody ever read Joseph Andrews by Henry Fielding? No, no. Tell us more. So, so like it's like it's got nothing to do with it, but it's it's like an on the road book where this good natured footman goes on the road from London with his mentor, and they have all kinds of adventures. And it, it's just the whole attitude because because the road trip is is just a, a means of pointing out flaws in society, religion, politics, morality. So it's it's like. Going on an adventure and going, look how ridiculous they are. Look at what's going on over here, and and like getting out of situations because you can. Mm-hmm. So it's like road trip kind of thing. Yeah, I I have some comparisons I want to make too. Who who here listened to the audiobook version? Who read? Oh, generally, Jesse, if you have us do a book, I always listen to the audiobook because I I think anything else would be cheating. Yeah, this is SSF audio, not SSF books. <laughs> was it the LibriVox? Audio books book? Paul. Uh, it, it was, no, no, I, no, no, it was, it was, uh, it was the I one that Jesse book. gave me. I don't know where he got that from. Well, let me tell you. That's, yeah. that's the other thing. The reason I read it 10 years ago um, is because November 11, 2008, I did something. This is back when I was angry about things on the Internet, which is still the case. <laughs> stuff on LibriVox. So I I tried to prime the pump there by um, making people make audiobooks out of public domain books. This is actually where the PDF page came from as well. Uh, I, I was trying to get people to do uh, books that hadn't been done instead of recording the same Kurt Vonnegut story over and over. <laughs> Oh, Jesse, you're on thin ice now. Over. There's like 40 <laughs> versions of that stupid story. It's it's not a great story, but because it's the very first one on the Gutenberg page, because it's called To Be or Not To Be, um, starts with a number two, and people like Kurt Vonnegut, they record that one over and over. So I said, uh, record one of these things, put it up on LibriVox or your own podcast or whatever, and I'll give you one of my books that I paid for my, uh, my audiobooks I paid for with my own money as a prize, um, except I think I couldn't call it a prize because of some legal regulation or something. So uh, I called it, you know, uh, a reward. I don't, I don't remember what it was. Anyways, um, this was one of those titles. Um, and there's a bunch of other ones that are uh, were done up for LibriVox, inclu- uh, including um, a Murray Leinster story read by Julie. If if you remember Which that one, I'm trying to think. Aliens. I'm looking. At oh the- yeah. Mm-hmm. January yeah. 2009. You podcast that on Forgotten Classics. Mm-hmm. I remember that so, one. You're welcome for the audiobook that I. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you because I've listened to it three or four times because I enjoy this story so much and I, I like the reading. Too. I enjoy it too. 
So, um, yeah, so no, but I mean, I'm seriously saying thank you because that's where I discovered it. And, I'm seriously um, I, saying you're reading great. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> Terrence, what, what did you think of this? I invited you on here because you had a good reaction to uh, the, ast- I think it was a positive reaction to the astounding book. And- yes, I like the book, astounding. Um, this one, I, I didn't know. I haven't read much Murray Leinster, but I, I quite liked it. Um, He's a good writer. It's. I saw that it was on um, a, a nominee for the Hugo in the same year as um, uh, Starship Troopers and um, uh, Sirens of Titan, and it did make me think a little. It seems to be between the two. It, it did make me think a little of Sirens of Titan for the or Vonnegut in general for the humor. Um, and did Starship Troopers win that year? I, I yeah. yes. That yes. makes sense. And uh, I don't think it should have won against uh, either Starship Troopers or... <laughs> and uh, it's a little like High Nine for the Capable Man thing that he's in. Very um, much so. I, I was thinking about that all throughout, and and I, I thought definitely written for Campbell, de- definitely written for the astounding market. Um, it's... it's the, yeah, yes defi- and no. Yes, no. I'm going to take exception to that. Yes, yes, this is a compliment, of man, but the, but the more comedic tone doesn't feel very Campbellian, to me. I agree. It, I, I think that's what makes it good. Right? I know, it, no, no, it's feature, not bug. I agree with you, but I don't yeah. think Campbell, Campbell would Campbell. like the tone of this very much. He'd be like, yes, we have a compliment, of man, but this is a guy that kind of backs into everything he does. I mean, he, but so it's, it's not, it's not like a. Heimlinian, Campbellian, like, Uberman, like, ooh, we're going forward into the universe. This guy just wants to be an engineer, and he takes a, yeah, he just keeps getting caught up into more and more problems as, as yeah, he tries it's to It's a comedic it. novel, right? Yeah. It's in the, uh, I, I think, was the stainless steel rat in Astounding as well? That's kind of the same type of story. It's it a sort same, of. It is the same kind of story. I don't know if. Harry Harrison, story. yeah. Um, Death World, which was also Harry Death Harrison, World, not yeah, quite the right. same, but yeah, the I never could read the Stainless Steel Rat. I couldn't stick with it, but I liked the Death World trilogy. I, I'm I'm not happy with the uh, the antagonist and how she plays out in the Stainless Steel Rat. It, yeah, I it, it, I know it's a novel of its time, but yeah, I kind of didn't quite. I just could never get past the first few chapters. It just couldn't grab me, but so. Um, Anyway. I, 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 yeah, I mean, I mean there, there are better con man novels. I mean, Sailor Star is good, but there are better con man novels written since. But we can talk mm. about that another time. <laughs> yeah, but this is um, just the sort of a story that you would you would find back in that time. And that's what I like about it. I like those pulp novels. And this one, it's comedic, but he's got his point he's making, just like Starship Troopers, but with less info dumping, you know? So, yeah. Um, yeah, it, you know, yeah. I'll use a little more info dumping because I I was very interested in his his tricks. Um, you know, I'm gonna hook this up to that, and <laughs> I, I I was like, I think he I think he's kind of like not cheating as much as we might guess he's cheating. But uh, I'm, not, I'm not an electrical engineer, um, but I can sort of smell bullshit pretty good. Um, <laughs> Yeah, sensitive nose, but uh, you know he's talking about the uh, the way he escapes um, from the embassy with the uh, ozone and the mm. pistols and the charges and all that stuff. I, I thought that, oh, you know, that that 
doesn't sound completely bullshit. And the fact that um, everything is wirelessly charged is the standard thing, right? They've basically got uh, wireless chargers on their pistols and their cars, and, and they take their the electrical energy, or I guess it's transmitted into electrical energy, from the planet's um, ionosphere, or no, I guess magnetic field. Um, itself, and I, th- I thought, you know what, this is all very plausible in, and at least in theory. Uh, I don't know how practical it is in transmission and all that stuff. Maybe the pistols need to have a bigger antenna. <laughs> they, you know, everybody's getting cooked with microwaves. Um, but there, the wireless charging, when we think of it today for cell phones, tends to be what we think is you have to put it on a little disc and then um, it uses a magnetic coil in close proximity to charge whatever device. And, you know, there's new phones out now that you can charge another phone using your phone, but they have to be touching. But they actually do have, and this is a Tesla thing, right? Uh, (laughs) Tesla had wireless wireless power over long distance. And and if you were like me, a kid, uh, a long time ago with a radio... You could actually uh, have a wireless radio as long as it was very close to your ear. You could pick up radio transmissions and hear them without any batteries in your radio. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Because the radio waves themselves are the power. Um, it, oh, it, yeah. it's the batteries it, amplify it. Uh, I mean, give the power to amplify it. Okay. Right. But see, I'm happy with just knowing that. I don't want to know any more details. I believe you. And that's how I, I, I felt about the book. More. I didn't want I... any more details in the book. I thought that was just fine. So, so how did you all feel about the the central problem and its resolution that, oh, he, he, he created a death ray and this is bad. And this is why the planet Walden goes to such lengths to try to capture him. And it turns out, no, not so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At one point, I thought maybe he was being set up. Um, cause they didn't want him, you know, upsetting the status quo. Disrupting so society. I was, I was, I yeah. was glad that it, that it was just an accident. It wasn't as nefarious as I thought it was going to be. I felt like I, th- I thought it was interesting cause I kept thinking that something he did had an unintended consequence when someone, you know, brought something else into proximity or something. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was just, Oh, okay. I liked that they finished it up didn't just leave it hanging as here's what shoves you out of here yeah he wrapped it up nicely (laughs) parents what did you think paul oh sorry go ahead uh he says that right from the beginning um uh when he's been arrested that um they're just seizing on any uh, opportunity to um avoid change and then Mm -hmm. the ambassador pretty uh quickly at the beginning says oh they've got it on this some other a star system, and it's never been a problem, but it was uh, it was sort of virtually in suspense till r- right at the end of the book. So, I forgot about it. <laughs> I forgot about the, the you know what kicked off the whole story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, there, there's some real. I mean, for all this is a fun and frothy and light comic novel. I mean, the, the ambassador provides the political slash sociological heft of the book where he talks about mm-hmm. that 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 Walden's basically a society that doesn't want and can't change and the ambassador thinks of course this is bad so 
so our our hero as a inadvertent agent of <laughs> chaos is a good thing. Mm-hmm. I, I I think it, it got wrapped up a little too. Like, oh no no it was a, it was a mistake all along. Felt a little too pat of a way to resolve yeah. the, solve a problem. That's I mean Walton sent out a heck of a lot of material and manpower after him. It, 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 felt, it felt a little too pat, but I'm I'm glad they didn't. As uh, I think you. You you said it, Mysa, that they didn't just leave it hanging; that they actually did resolve, it and we actually touched base and actually get get some resolution on that. The um, ambassador and the the grandfather are sort of the Heinlein characters. Um, Absolutely, and, yeah, 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 the Tubal Harshaw, yeah. Yeah, my the grandfather is one of the greatest characters ever. <laughs> I love the way he resonates. He is the mental uh, wisdom for, is it Hodan? Is that how you say his name? The whole time where he's, oh, my grandfather always said this. Oh, my grandfather always said that. And some of it doesn't matter. It's just moves the plot along. But some of it you go, oh, yeah, uh-huh. This is just how things work. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah, I was I, I was very much appreciating the fact that they were both the Heinleinian old man character who who's got a bunch of wisdom that he needs to instill in this kid, and he likes this kid, and this kid just needs to be set on the right path, and 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 of course he ends up being right, you know that that's exactly what Walden. Um, I guess there's a kind of uh, uh, illusion there, right? Walden, as in Walden oh. Bond. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 um, I kind of figured that's where he's going with right away. Here's what comes from too much peace. <laughs> or, or, or not even peace, stasis, I think, is is, is what, right. what, what civilization. Yeah. yeah. It's like yeah that's the stuff. word he uses for it, right? Is he yeah. calls it the most civilized planet most in civil- the, uh, part of the sector or whatever. I mean, this is. The, I mean, we can tie this back into something we've talked like about the whole idea of frontier mentality and having a frontier for malcontents to escape to. We've discussed this on other podcasts, and Walden doesn't have that. Walden is a is a firmed up and ossifying. There's a nice word, ossifying society. Yeah. And tranquilizing society, Paul. Tw- that's- that's their main hobby, right? Is is taking uh, oxycontin or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. So it, it I mean, it's cl- it's clearly a planet that needs help, and well, Hodan gives it help whether he likes it or not by you know by <laughs> st- by, st- by by stumbling into a by stumbling into a death ray, which is no death ray at all, actually. But you know, it it, it's, it strikes me too that um, the ambassador is like the Captain Kirk. Of their society, because Captain Kirk's always showing up and going, well, no, we can't interfere with anyone, but you people are stuck in a loop. We're fixing this. Chaos. You can't have peace but, and happiness but, and everything. But the ambassador doesn't really take a lot of action himself. I mean, he's just willing to encourage an agent of chaos that comes along. I mean, otherwise... He, yeah, he facilitates, yeah. He facilitates. Mm-hmm. He doesn't actually... It, I, I might have been slightly more interesting if he actually was doing stuff to try to destabilize the society a bit, but he he just takes advantage of Hodan to to further that agenda. But he doesn't seem, or we are not shown him doing anything on his own before Hodan ever shows up. He he's just going he to watch it back either, which uh, I was kind of uh, I, I I was hoping that he was he was going to we were going to get some more of the. Of the uh, every planet has a uh, embassy, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. of course, the only one we ever see is on Walden. There isn't one. We don't see one on um, Darth, 
and we don't see one on any of the other. Oh, there's uh, uh, presumably there's one on Zan. We don't see one on Zan. We don't hear anything more from them. And uh, the the kind of Earth Empire. It's not really an empire, is it? Right? It's not even a confederation. It's something else. Yeah, that's weird. You're right. It's, 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 it's almost like this is set in a larger right. universe, and that's the only connection to that larger universe. What were you saying, Paul? Yeah, it, it, it's a very, it's a very, very loose league, and not even that. It, it, yeah. it, 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 there's not a lot of central authority going on here, which. I think is part of one of the points he has that yeah the too concentrated I mean because because we get we get Walden which is which is this twikerizing society then we get we get Darth which is this feudal this this feudal chaos that uh, Hodan winds up uh, disrupting with his stun pistols and it's just attempt to try to be an engineer so there's a, there's a number of different kinds of polity and then of course we have Zan which are pirates slash former pirates so we get a number of different polities but we don't see anything overarching. Well, he says there's a space patrol. If you start doing wild things in space, you'll get... Oh, that's right. Down oh, by I forgot about the... that. Thanks, Darth. I, I well, was reminded of um, the High Crusade, um, especially on Darth. Um, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. The, the High Crusade is a very good uh, analogy. Yeah, you, the, the, the weird feudal... Uh, country versus, I mean, spaceships like that. I was also, I also was thinking of... Um, um, the Elspring to Camp uh, no- novels uh, set on uh, yeah brain freeze um, the, the green skinned alien ones where you have us where you have aliens and they're kind of feudal medieval technology and then you have you have a spaceport but then there's a whole technological planet uh, Krishna thank you the Krishna novels so that's okay but except these are all humans there are no aliens here but I mean, if you had a spaceport on Darth, that a real spaceport on Darth, not just you know just some controls, then you then you would have a planet Christmas situation, but you don't really. <coughs> there's no technological. There, there, there's techno. There's tension with the technology, and I it also raises some questions. So, if these all settled by humans at some point, why are some planets so more backward than others? How did that happen? We're told that the, all the planets are pretty much the same. This is from the narrator, right? That uh, there's not that much difference between all the planets. But that's the three not true. See, yeah, the three we see are apparently similar. I think he might be uh, uh, speaking more as to what kind of uh, fauna and flora are on these planets. So yeah, yeah. It's like technology. Yeah. They're vastly different. I mean, yeah, if Walden plants... wanted to conquer, if Walden, for whatever reason, wanted to conquer Darth, Darth doesn't stand a chance. Darth doesn't. I mean, they thought. I mean, they were kind of thrown off by the stun pistols, much as anything what Darth, Walden could put out if they decided to go uh, starting an empire, which they wouldn't because they're so ossified and tranquilized. But if Walden wanted, I mean, maybe the space patrol, as Terrence said, would stop them. But it, it's like, but. But Darth was settled just at the same time as other people. So why did they regress to this feudal sort of state? What? Well, do we know when they were settled? I don't know that that was made clear. Yeah. Anywhere. No. Yeah. But but I mean, presumably you're being settled by a spacefaring civilization, and now they're so not spacefaring they don't even have stun pistols. So like, what happened? Why? I think stun pistols might have been a fairly new technology, uh, at least in hundreds of years. Yeah, but they don't uh, even have real. F- yeah. they don't even have. Yeah, they don't even have, car- they don't even have wheels. Yeah, I think, it's, we're, it's, uh, yeah, I think I mean, we're asking 
questions that this book was never intended to answer. Yeah, I I, I am picking at the book a little too much, maybe, but that's just my nature. That's why we love you. I think that's what they're, they're, he's just using different planets for different societies and different ways of thinking and different perceptions. And and so I go to this planet and I, you know, and I'm a feudal person and I go to that planet and I can stun people Mm -hmm. and, and tranquilize. Yeah, and it's also um, I. What I loved about Darth was they weren't technologically advanced, but they had um, legalistic arguments down to a fine art. <laughs> yeah, they, the, they, the whole thing of well, if you give me a bigger present than this, oh no, don't pay, I'm a gentleman. <laughs> that's that's beyond question. Yeah, I mean, but, I mean, they're not technologically yeah. advanced, but they're, they definitely are culturally sophisticated. I mean, that's, they're, 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 their feudal yeah. society is very much a cat's cradle of alliances and relationships and and, and, not and deals. So yeah, yeah, and they're gonna I was thinking about it before and I thought, well maybe they're just as stagnant because they haven't advanced technologically and then I thought, well no, I can't say that because um the one guy is trying to get technology there. Right. He's he's you know, the chaos of trying to get the upper hand on other people is going to make the them progress one way or another. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? The, the Lord of this and the King of that. Yeah. 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 The, the, the father of the eventual bride of our hero, which I, I kind of, I kind of figured that was going to come that in the, in the end he was going, going to go, go for uh funny. I mean, I mean, Absolutely I mean, he's been focused, focused on what's her name. Who's kind of a cipher for most of the book, but yeah, I mean, when funny shows up, it's like, I, first of all, I thought it's like, Dude, this is this is the this is the woman for you, dude. This is this is this is your partner. Can't you recognize it? I'm glad that yeah, like as the the author himself realized, yeah, this is the, this is the person that he's best suited for, and vice versa. Yeah. Well, you you don't write. You leave the angriest woman on the gal uh, in the universe on a planet, and then not make her not angry. Like, yeah. <laughs> right. That's true. <laughs> you got to fire that gun. That's right. 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 Yep. That's, that's Chekhov's gun there. Right. Yes, indeed. <laughs> well, and I loved what they did with um, the first girl who now her name, Netta. Netta, yeah. Where <laughs> she sneaks on because she wants the glamour of being associated with the pirate who, you know, oh, we were engaged or whatever. And then she's so busy make, being so nice that that's what cows all the barbarians. And so when the one guy says, it ain't that I mind her being a nice girl, one of his mustachioed Darthians explained almost tearfully to Hodan, but she wants to make a nice girl out of me. <laughs> you know, and I just was like, I love it. Yeah. Speaking of uh, gender, uh, yesterday, I think it was yesterday, Terrence sent me this really interesting thing. Uh, it's called the Gendered Text Project. Did anyone else see it besides we two? I did not. No. Tell us more. Okay, so apparently what they do, as far as I can tell, is they take public domain materials and then um, allow you to gender swap any character in the novel, and uh, you, you know, hit the read the text key after you make your choices, and suddenly everything's different. So let me read you the opening uh, uh, opening paragraph. Of the Pirates of Erzats with uh, with the uh, gender flipped. Here it goes. It was not mere impulse action when Bree Hodan started <laughs> for the planet Walden by stowing away on a ship that had come to her native planet to hang all her relatives. 
She'd planned it long before. It was a long, cherished, and carefully worked out scheme. She didn't expect the hanging of her relatives, of course. She knew that they'd act grieved and innocent and give proof that they were simple people leading blameless lives. They'd make their world uh, sorry, they'd make their would-be executioners feel ashamed and apologetic for having evil uh, thought evil of them. And as soon as the strangers left, they'd return to their normal way of life, which was piracy. But when this was going on, Brie Hodan stowed away on the menacing vessel. Presently, she arrived at its homeworld, but her ambition was to reach Walden, so she set about getting there. It took a long time because she had to earn ship's passage from one solar system to another, but she held to her idea. Walden was the most civilized planet in the, that part of the galaxy. On Walden, Hodan intended to... In, sorry. On Walden, Hodan intended, in order, A to achieve splendid things as an electronic engineer, B, to grow satisfactorily rich, C, to marry a delightful girl, and D, end her life a great woman. But she had to spend two years trying to arrange even the first. And then it goes on. In the next paragraph, it says, her friend Derek would admire her, and even Netta would probably decide to marry her right away. She was a delightful girl. Such prospects made... They didn't gender swap everyone, though. No, no, no. choose to gender swap anyone. Oh, so I see. Make Netta a male, and I guess okay. it would call him Ned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, but, well, no, we, we, we live in a modern society. If, if she wants to marry Netta, that's perfectly legal. And Oh, no, no. Well, I was just thinking it would gender swap all of it. I forgot the. We don't know what choose. I forgot that part. Planets, yeah. But, but yeah, and the, the, the weirdest one uh, uh, how much did you play with this, Terrence? Uh, I just looked at the beginning. I um, switched all genders. There was one switch to switch them all at the same time, and it, it changed the feel of it. It made me wonder whether um, it did. It did. It does change the feel. Yeah. Um, uh, um, Brian is is delightful or not? Yeah. <laughs> I want to read the. I'm going to read you the the second paragraph. Suddenly, uh, a basic romance at that point, and I'm, I lost all interest. So with, go ahead, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, this this is this is going to change things up. Um, right. Non-binary. I I changed Bron to a non-binary uh, character. And uh, now Bron is named uh, Bryn, B R Y N. On the night before the police broke in the door of Here Room, that's H I R, though accomplishment seemed imminent. Z went to bed <laughs> and slept. Z was calmly sure that her H I R here ambitions were about to be realized. At practically any instance, instant, here brilliance would be discovered and Z'd be well-to-do. Here, here friend Derek would admire here, and even Netta would probably decide to marry here right away. She was a delightful girl. Such prospects made for good sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, you could switch uh, uh, Netta to uh, non-binary. You make everybody non-binary and make everything super confusing. <laughs> I, or, I don't know. You can make the. I don't know how you make the grandfather non-binary, but um, grandparent. Who knows? Um, I, I I don't know what I, I don't know what I don't know that people are actually gonna. Oh, it does say export. <laughs> you know, make your make. Uh, what does this do? What does this do to the the original story? Like I was I was thinking a lot about how how this is this. This story, the Pirates of Arasats, was kind of like a Conan story, 
you know, Conan's from this faraway land <coughs> called Samaria. We, we don't get to see Samaria, right? He, he goes off to uh, softer lands and uh, makes mincemeat out of uh, the fools all around him, you know, goes to another planet and uh, makes, makes, makes them uh, basically do what he says and uh, gets up a piracy fleet and goes off raiding. And it's kind of a softer Conan story. If you flip Conan's gender, uh, it does change things quite a bit. Uh, it, it, we've seen similar characters uh, swap genders, but I was thinking more along the lines of what does this mean in terms of uh, once we have this ability just to suddenly, I guess it's somebody has to go in there and do a little bit of work. Um, <coughs> the Pirates of Ersatz, they have to go in and change all the character names so that less uh, obvious or maybe more gendered and or less gendered. Uh, but if we have this technology to suddenly switch all the genders in any book that comes out, that'd be a very weird concept for how, how do people write books now with that in mind, in the back of their head. They're saying, okay, um, I'll let you decide. <laughs> you know, you can buy the male version of the book, the female version of the book. It's, um, it's, it's fascinating. Weird, right? Um, you could make the same movie with a different actor uh, and have the gender swapped. If, if uh, like, you know, Thor right now in Marvel Comics is female. Um, not anymore. She, okay. Well, no, whatever. No, no, no. Jane, 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 no Jane, Jane Foster, who was was the new Thor, is now actually becoming the new Valkyrie. Okay. Whatever. You know what I mean. <laughs> they, they have a female Wolverine at one point. Um, well, well, when you when you said right off the top. It's a it's a novel of a capable man. I was thinking when when you say capable man, people go, oh yeah, capable man. But if you if you put that same attribute on a woman, there's a name for it. What did they call her? A Mary Sue? A Marianne? Like unbelievable. She what is it? Mary Sue. So Mary Sue's like they're unbelievable because they just can't do everything. Like are you kidding me? So like it's just even that way, like it's a thing you can do for men and you can't do for women. And and then they come off as being unlikable because no, they can't do all that, and I don't they like. Quite him. like this, uh, uh, the, but the we really version. do like him. Like he's so fun and he's helpful, and you know he's so great. So it's really interesting to think about it. Mm-hmm. What happens to your perception? The character does the exact same things, but what happens to your perception of them if you if you when you when you read when you re- regender them? And I was, was thinking how Derek. Of- you know, that character who shows up at the beginning, shows up at the end, and who's the friend, he was almost like a female character to begin with. And that he was like, oh, I'm really worried. Yeah. I'm really worried. You, I'm informing on you for your own good. I'm really worried. Um, and then if you if you <laughs> gender switch him, that plays into that stereotype, I guess. But, but that was the point of the book in the first place, right? They were already doing that by making him want to be an engineer instead of a pirate. I guess. And backing into the piracy. That's part of why I think originally it was probably funnier than we think it is now, because it was so stupid. Who wants to go off and be a civil engineer? No one. <laughs> this is his dream. He's telling his grandfather, all I wanted to do, man, was be an engineer, and I got yeah. stuck being a damn pirate. Yeah. So the book, has, this book has already done that. And if you start messing around with it, you're um, you can riff off of it. 
how long have we had fan fiction? This changing the gender is not that big a deal. I mean, in terms of that kind of a thing. No, I was thinking um, more along the lines of in the like right now, somebody's writing a book, right? Now imagine that that you know a new pro. It's, we always think of it like a new company comes out and they're going to sell to Amazon eventually. But basically, because eBooks are eBooks, uh, it's easy to switch things. So you can choose, you know. Uh, Harry Potter, you could buy the adult version, or you could buy the regular version, the kids version, the, the same book, right? <laughs> Just different cover, but you don't feel embarrassed. Well, now you can get on the bus and you can be reading uh, Harriet Potter, right? If you're J.K. Rowling writing that book, does that inform like, what does that do to the way you're thinking about writing this book? I feel like I would be going in. I'm never for really stricter copyright laws, but if I was an <laughs> author, I'd be going, we need a new clause. Um, it makes me think about, in a sense, this is what, and I'm sorry to bring it back to Indian films, but um, they don't worry about copyright, which is what different people like Memento has been remade as Gajini which was first, and that's the Hindi version or Hindu version, which was first done in South um, India. It's like a Tamil or Telugu version. And all they did was take, here's the basic idea. This guy has short-term memory. He tattoos everything on him. It's a vengeance story, which, believe me, is nothing like what Christopher Nolan had in mind when he did Memento in the same way. And you watch it and you go, this is bonkers. But they took it and created a new piece of art just mm-hmm. sitting around and switching these things around. I mean, it's fun, I guess, if you want to look at how are our perceptions different, but it's um, terribly non-creative. If you know, I, people can do that. I have zero respect for it because so what anybody can look at a book and go, Oh, here are the stereotypes. Here are the lack of stereotypes. Here's whatever to take it and do something yeah, new with it, it. That's the amazing thing, right? Is suddenly you can't like if you write it so that uh, it, it doesn't this neutralize all the all the problems. Like, Stronger copyright laws. Uh, but I'm think on board. about this for a second, Julie. Okay, imagine when you're writing the book, you you don't have a particular gender in mind. You just pick one, right? You could even randomize it, and then when you sell it, um, this sort of defeats the whole. Somebody saying, "Oh, he's, uh, this character is just a Mary Sue." Well, <laughs> how do you say that if this character, like, doesn't this defeat? Can the, you write a book like that? Can you really write a book? I mean, isn't the point of writing a book because you have something to say, even if it's just funny? I mean, how can you do? How can you write a book meant to be completely neutral or completely whatever, so people could just switch it around? Then it's not oh, really I, just write your book. You you write it based on character, like the yeah, characters. And, yeah. But, yeah. but that in mind, well, you're not going to like my next idea then. I totally, well, it's, I, I get what you're saying and I get people can do it, but you know what? Uh, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is slightly different idea. So um, I was thinking a lot about well, while while uh, reading this, I was thinking about lo- what happened in the news very recently. Uh, Julian Assange being uh, taken out of the embassy that he was hiding mm. in. Um, this was uh, a completely slow version, and obviously with a slightly different ending uh, than of what what's happening. Right? He he, esca- he escapes the uh, local justice, 
to uh, hide in the Ecuadorian embassy. The Ecuadorians give him um, not only uh, a kind of um, shelter, but also eventually citizenship. And then the government of Ecuador is highly pressured by the outside um, uh, agencies, other countries, and uh, given giant uh, loans and bunches the government changed right the president of uh, ecuador changed and then his um his shelter is revoked and his citizenship in ecuador is revoked and the police are invited into the embassy <laughs> and remove him from the embassy uh to face justice for his quote-unquote crime um so i was thinking that that's the difference between uh the fiction world and sort of the naive science fiction um, romp frothiness that Paul pointed out that is very f- enjoyably light and frothy. Um, the real, the real politic is that, um, yeah, you can find a friendly government here or there occasionally, but pressure will be, uh, put down. And, and so I'm not sure that embassy could possibly exist, right? That it has a, the, the fictional embassy we see in the story. It sort of points to the fact that that's not really. Uh, there were re, there are reasons people people put embassies in other countries, and the ones that are explicated in here, although high minded, they don't seem to be very realistic. And I, I, I was just thinking how striking it was because um, all the all the plans of getting Julian Assange out of the embassy, you know, by shimmying down a rope <laughs> or um, using heat guns. And uh, one, one of the, one of the ones I heard uh, or thought about, I guess, was, do you remember, this is a very Corey Doctorow thing. Many, uh, I don't know, a decade or so ago, there was something called flash mobs. You yeah. Remember this, right. So what you do is you put an ad on Craigslist, uh, $20 come with a uh, white wig and, <laughs> and wearing a blue shirt um, and show up on the corner of X and Y and uh, you will be paid, right? And so what they do is they have 10,000 Julian Assange's show up on the street (laughs) and he can walk out of the embassy and the cops start arresting people, but who are they going to, are they going to catch him, right? And then meanwhile, he's tunneling over to the next building across the street or whatever. Um, So, that's the sort of the 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 thing is is this sort of embassy uh, intrigue has happened before in history. I don't know that that it's particularly being riffed on a particular history in this, but I was thinking about that and how yeah this is this is not that kind of science fiction where um, it's really serious about politics. It's very much much in the tone of um, of uh, Paul Anderson's The High Crusade. It's a great adventure story. I mean, in that sense, it's just um, that's funny. And yeah, he needed an embassy and they needed to have this to push things along. So they did. But, you know, and you could argue, oh, the Space Patrol could enforce it, that they needed an embassy. They're the most civilized world in that sector. So, of course, they have embassies with people. That's what civilized people do. So, Mm. you know, it kind of it worked for me for not, you know, I never thought about them not having one on Darth. But really, who could have an embassy on Darth? It would be raised in a day. So, um, yeah. And and the other thing that I was thinking about, especially thinking about England, 
and uh, embassies. I was thinking about um, th- what they're actually doing. They're not so much pirates uh, from, oh, by the way, one of the, the German translations is pirates over Darth. Or oh. um, or maybe it's pirates of, A-U-F, is that of? Maybe that's pirates, pirates of, of. Yeah, so not only we get Zan um, and Erzatz, we also get pirates of Pirates of Darth. Um, I was thinking about the Dane Guild, right? How oh, yeah. after a certain point, you just invite the Vikings in and just say, okay, how about this? I mean, that's where <laughs> Normandy came from, right? Um, you just say, how about this? You guys guard the north <laughs> against other Norsemen, and you can have this territory. Um, and then right. some, some Viking will take them up on it, right? The pirates become legitimated in a certain sense. And... Um, quickly become semi-civilized, but then need to invade a neighboring island. Um, are you, are you, are you talking about William the Bastard, aka okay, William the Conqueror? Sure, I thought, but also, uh, also like just the fact that you know when the Viking ships show up on shore, you can just hand over your stuff and not be uh, raped and um, Hope, killed. Hopefully, right? not always. That didn't always work, Jesse. No, yeah, no, but no the, not But the Danegeld was also on, um, you know, the the northern parts of England where they were already coming in. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. yeah, that's. Um, it's not just William the Conqueror or William no, the no, Bastard. It's, 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 well, whole, that's why I was or, saying to Paul. I was no, like, no, it's. No, no. No, because yeah. he's invading a neighboring island. I immediately thought of William the Conqueror. No, I, oh, yeah, I well, that's that as well. Yeah, uh, well, it's, that it, was, that was a whole different, different thing. It, it's true, but the way he works the system, the the really fun part about this is that, I mean, it's kind of immoral, but he uses the homeless people as his fleet, right? I, <laughs> they, I was going to ask what people thought about that part of the plot because his sense of um, empathy for them was surprising to me. You know, he was so mad that they'd been cheated and he was going to help them well, and all this cheated, stuff. So it makes sense. Right? Well, I know, but it's just, he's like this poor old man and these people and what they'd done. And he was so angry about it. And I thought, I, you know, I went with it, but I was really surprised because we hadn't seen him have those kind of emotions. He'd only been thinking about himself the entire time. It's true. And so this is, um, I guess this is the first time when he's going to turn a little outward, but well, it, he doesn't really do it for the rest of the book either. So I just thought it was kind of interesting. Yes, with the insurance he does it. He tries to fix yeah. it up to everybody mm-hmm. gets back he does with, a, with a bonus as well. Right, so yeah, it, I guess you're right. Cause that's he, he does it all the way through. It's his character. He's a soft-hearted pirate. He yeah, very soft-hearted. Yeah. And, and, um, and in terms of why he help them when he goes to talk to the fleet they say he said why did you come to a poor place and he said because the poor will give you everything that they've got the rich mm. won't. and so mm-hmm. he i think he kind of identified with that yeah like, yeah that's true and and so they can't you know like it, it's definitely really- coming from uh the underclass right even mm-hmm. even if his grandfather is a uh, high fleet admiral of of the pirates they're they're not um it's it's against the elites who are what I guess is that's the funny thing, right? Is that the, the Walden society is fucked up, but it's the most civilized. I think that's, that was what what I was thinking so much about Robert E. Howard's sort of bonkers, but also interesting theories about civilization and barbarism. He's always going on and on about 
civilization and barbarism, right? <laughs> and Lovecraft's like, mm, I don't think it works that exactly. <laughs> and no, he's no, it's definitely like that. And I'll I'll write about it. And he writes stories after stories about civilization versus barbarism. But it's true. Uh, if you have a high, highly decadent culture uh, where basically you've got a lot of built up capital, um, the problems are not hard scrabble problems. The problems are addiction and, um, you know, getting servants in to pick your crops, and <laughs> that sort of thing. Right? So um, the fact that there's a cartel that doesn't want a new technology that will help uh, improve the efficiency of their electrical grid um, is not that surprising if you've got a uh, sort of built-in establishment that doesn't want things to be changed because they like the way things are, they like the way things work out for them. And the fact that the, the planet is civilized and rich doesn't mean that everybody on the planet is civilized and rich, right? I don't get the sense that um, everybody's equally powerful because there are still cops running around <laughs> and the cops are not equivalent to um, judges and the judges are not equivalent to other other folks, right? So there's the whole... Um, I think a critique that I don't know if he, he was going for for the United States in 1959, but uh, I certainly think the critique is uh, – I, I was in my mind while I was listening to it this well, week. He, yeah, he, does, he says, in a free economy, industrialists consider that freedom is the privilege to be stupid without penalty. There you go. There's yeah. a lot of lines like that. Yeah. I, I was thinking I should make a lot of notes, and I think this is a lot of frothiness. <laughs> I don't know what I <laughs> but he did. He 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 treated it fairly seriously. The the background buildup of his philosophy yeah. around the world, right? And he comes back to it because it's a funny thing to me that the grandfather and the ambassador are basically the same. Yeah, in cahoots. Yeah. They're there together, and. Um, and a lot of the things that grandfather says are in support of that system too. It's just kind of a backwards way of getting there. This is uh, from the fourth paragraph um, of the book. I'm reading from the astounding version. So there's no gender swapping. Um, <laughs> and Walden was a fine world to be sleeping on outside the capital city. It's spaceports received shipments of luxuries and raw materials from halfway across the galaxy. It's landing grid reared skyward and tapped the planet's ionosphere for power with which to hoist ships to clear space and pluck down others for from emptiness. That's actually good writing. Um, mm. Quite pretty. There was commerce and manufacture and wealth and culture, and Walden modestly admitted that its standard of living was the highest in the Nermi cluster. <laughs> its citizens had no reason to worry about anything but a supply of tranquilizers <laughs> to enable them to stand the boredom of their lives. Uh, I, I was thinking that that's actually him being comedic. Uh, but I think that it's also a true, a true, like the fact that, you know, we all have it pretty easy because the tigers aren't actually after us at this very moment. Uh, yeah, theoretically, there's tigers out there. Or if, I, if you saw my dream tweet this morning, uh, black bears. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there, are, there are black bears out there. I heard that my mom saw a black bear uh, yesterday. But black bears... Generally, they're not super dangerous, and so we just keep a little eye out there. So, I, mean, I mean, we had a black bear come into St. Paul like a week and a half ago. It got stuck in a tree. So, there you yeah. go. Oh. 
Well, probably people were at the bottom of the tree looking up and say that bear stuck in the tree, but the bear was just no, no. The bear could not. The bear get, no, the bear could not get out. They had to get the the cops and the firefighters to help free the poor bear. <laughs> hey, hey, welcome to Minnesota. I'm sure man. right now somewhere in the forest, somewhere there's a bear that's up in a tree and can't get down, but the cops are not coming. Right? It's, yeah, yeah, it's but the inter- interaction between the the wealthy. Uh, <laughs> humans who have nothing better to do than get excited about a bear. And probably <laughs> a bear didn't want to come landing, right? those people. Yeah. But there's so few bear skeletons found in trees. <laughs> <laughs> well, if there was a bear skeleton in a tree, would anybody notice? <laughs> Only if they're out there to see it, I guess, right? <laughs> With one hand clapping. That's right. <laughs> Okay. Um, I also liked the idea when the one of my favorite things is when the grandfather he's remembering said straight thinking is a delusion. You mm-hmm. think things out clear and simple and you can see yourself ruined and your family starving any day. But real things ain't simple. They ain't clear. Anytime you try to figure things out so they're simple and straightforward, you're going against nature and you're going to get them mixed up. So when something happens and you're in a straightforward, hopeless fix, why go along with nature? Make it as complicated as you can, and the only and the people who want you in trouble will get hopeless, confused, and you can get out. And I thought, isn't that the way of um, so many times? And this is like the bear in the tree, I guess, in a sense. But it's that thing of it's very simple. We'll just do this to fix that, and then you find out there's twelve other things we didn't know about that were connected to that. Either as a government or a family or a, you know, any group of people is trying to solve a problem. And it's not always the case, you know. We have no food. I go to the store and buy more. But, um, you know, for these big things like poor Hodan is trying to deal with, it's things are always more complicated than you think. I like that bit of wisdom. I also thought that that was the the wisdom that politicians use to get out of, <laughs> out of, out of uh, you know, hot water. Right, you make make things up, confuse people. Yeah, yes. <laughs> make things as complicated oh. as you can. The thing is, is some things are simple, but most things are complex, right? So we right. think as oh, it's simply just do this. Mm-hmm. It, like let's put up a wall, <laughs> done, right? Uh, now, because most people who you think of as uh, coming into the country illegally or staying overstaying their things, they didn't walk over. They went in through a port well also even just from the point of view of you know there was a death ray right. and it killed this person well he fell out of a tree or whatever it was that happened to him. he literally fell out of a tree yeah yeah exactly yeah. he unlike the bear got out but he died um but the thing is is that yeah so even in that there's more to it than the people of walden know they just didn't bother to look closely enough so he's tying everything back in in those ways hmm because I liked that the people in the 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 homeless people in their fleet that are trying to get somewhere who've been cheated, you know, he's thinking, oh, this is very, oh, look what I found. Here's all these tapes. You can learn how to make things. I got you all the supplies you need for that. And they're like, no, I, I know how to sharpen this. I know how to do that. And he has to go through this complicated process of luring them into understanding how it works mm. so they can then help themselves. Mm-hmm. It's all he, also, he also uses them as a, a means to his end, right? Uh, it ends up hel- helping them, mm-hmm. but 
it ends up helping him. I think there's a there it's just more complicated a, than it seems. There right? are quite you a know? few lines like that where he he says basically um, in in dealing with other people's problems, you can actually solve your own problems. Yeah, it's here. It's from the grandfather. He says helping one's neighbor is is right as a two-way job but maybe he's laying for you you get a chance to fix him so he can't do you no harm and you're a lot better off and he's a hell of a lot better neighbor yeah. uh, that's what i keep saying you know why uh, why i'm justifying myself why why i care who wins the next american presidential election like i really care about it and and i think well some people uh, i've i've seen some people people say you know it's not your business. You can't like, dude, we live right next to you. And if you guys are fucked up, it really hurts us. Um, and (laughs) and like, if you guys get, uh, not Terrence, obviously, but (laughs) you Americans get, um, public health care, you know what that would mean? That would mean we have, we have nothing to lord over you, which means we have to do something, which would us, right? It's the pirates of Xan all over again. It totally is. Um, so, <laughs> the uh, the left 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 leaning major party of Canada um, put out a little Star Wars uh, sort of May the Fourth thing, um, and it was you know the the leader Jagmeet Singh is going to bring you Pharmacare, free Pharmacare in the next election, right? Um, we're going to make this a deal. Wow, I would love Pharmacare not to be uh, you know out of my pocket, but out of the government's pocket because they negotiate better with the with the pharma pharmacies and all that, it's it'd be it's great for me. But if you guys don't get, um, you know, some threat, it actually does affect us. It, it, there is some. Well, not, it's a funny thing about that because you say that, and yet our government can't administer Medicare very well. So what they do is leave it. They pay the private insurance companies to do it instead. So they really aren't doing negotiating or any of that stuff. So um, anyway, it's just one of those things where it just depends on your point of view, right? A lot of corruption, right? So uh, if you just look at the costs, it's way cheaper in Canada per person than it is in the States. It's more than more than almost it's at least double the cost mm-hmm. and it's because of the insurance industry right so they're making profits out of and but more importantly they're denying um a lot of people coverage so that it a- ends up costing more money overall so it's it anyway it's a problem at a nice. problem at a time right i'm just saying if if you guys have something that's more in line of what we have then we have to improve ourselves you have to up your game line. man no, uh, otherwise people – like, it's sort of one of their defining features. Right? I, am I wrong here, Misa? Uh No, not wrong. I think my, my logic works. So, like, if if uh, we sort of define ourselves in opposition. Mm-hmm. Terrence, you're from Australia, right? Yes. Okay. Now you're living in, <laughs> oh, you're, you're getting living, sucked into this one, guys. You're living in, in <laughs> France. I'm yeah. sure – that's a a very different kind of experience. I've been to Nice once. I thought it was ah. very interesting. Um, I don't know if I could be a, a, a professor of philosophy there. <laughs> How, what do you What do you think from the outsider's outsider's point of view? What do you think is going on uh, in the world and this book <laughs> and all that stuff? <laughs> Good question. 
Yeah, and very clear question. I want to compliment myself on how clear that question was as well. Well, I think he's thinking. He's thinking. Maybe I should say forty-two. Uh, <laughs> Yay! <laughs> well, here's 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 something I I, I haven't talked to you before. I've uh, talked to you on Twitter, but that's not really a medium of conversation as much as a medium of links and pictures is what I think of it as. Um, uh, I, I noticed you tweet a lot about somebody named Deleuze. Now, I yes. I went to university for 16 years and be, got a, ended up with a degree in philosophy. But ah. I basically didn't – I don't know anything about Deleuze other than he's a late philosopher rather than a, an ancient philosopher, which is more – I where, you know, I sort of ended with, uh, I don't know, the 19th late 19th century is basically where I, my cutoff was. Um, so – I, I don't know anything about Deleuze. And whenever you tweet about Deleuze, I, I'm like, this probably means something to somebody. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Because uh, I don't know who the guy is. So th- does uh, Deleuze have any bearing on this, or is it more of a Douglas Adams problem? I think he would be in favor of the um, grandfather's idea that the, um, piracy is um, good for... Um, the economy and that the economy only works. His idea is, is things only work because they break down mm. and uh, they have failures. And um, uh, if you perfect it like the way the the Walden Wald, Waldenians do, um, it'll all go wrong. So probably there is a. Uh, I didn't think about Deleuze and this, but probably there is a, a Deleuze aspect. Uh, well, I wanna, I, I, I'm, I'm liking this guy a lot more. He's saying piracy is a good thing. Good, good. Oh, Jesse. <laughs> How do you spell his name? How do you spell uh, Deleuze? Deleuze, D-E-L-E-U-Z-E. Okay. Um, he, I think he was born in 1920 and he died in 1995. Okay. So basically <laughs> I, I read him in 1978 in Australia, and I was a, a timid, introverted, uh, poor student who had never travelled. But he reading him made me want to come to France. So I did everything I could to wow. come to France, and I, I studied. Wow. I, I went to his seminars in the 1980s, and so he he's a powerful thinker. Yeah, I, I see you tweeting about him all the time, so I, I should probably read something about it because I, I, I don't, I don't do any formal philosophy since university, which is like ten, more than ten, thirteen years ago now. But um, I, I just love this stuff. I, I didn't know about it until uh, I got into university, and I, I heard that my, fa- my father died when I was very young, but I heard my father was really into it. I'm like, oh, well, maybe I should take a course. So I did, and I'm like, damn, this stuff's awesome! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool! Um, because it's basically uh, the curriculum is is just reading what old guys thought about might make sense, and nope, they're all wrong. Basically, everything any philosopher ever wrote was wrong, because we have another philosopher who came along and said, nope, he was wrong, this is why. But that history of failure um, is fascinating because we all have ideas that come into our heads and then we have to disabuse ourselves of these ideas. And the best way to do that usually is to see where someone else made this mistake a long time ago and see if that logic is still in effect. And usually it still is. Um, 
So I, I thought I, I I bring I bring it to my everyday thinking, but I haven't kept up with the the 20th and 21st century philosophers. Um, uh, mostly because, and I didn't do like uh, I assume you went down the uh, doctorate and master's path. I got a master's, and and then I had to make a decision, and um, so in 1987, mm-hmm. and. Uh, my scholarship had run out, so I didn't go on. I, I went to um, uh, the south because I wanted the sun, so I went to Beaulieu. And with my wife, we ran a, a holiday residence for a couple of years. And then I, I became an English teacher. So I'm not, I'm not a philosophy professor at all. Oh, I'm okay. A English teacher in a technical high school. Um, well, but but I, I, it's a French high school, so basically it's, it's a, a university, right? <laughs> well, I don't wow. know. Um, everyone in um, everyone who goes to the end of uh, high school, whatever the last year in high school is called for you, uh, for us it's called terminal, terminal. Everyone <laughs> in the last year of high school does uh, at least um, a, uh, a couple of hours of philosophy uh, a week. It's, mm-hmm. uh, oh, that's cool. Even technical students um, and um, more literary students do I don't know how, how many hours six or, or seven hours a week so yes um, uh, it's not exactly like a, a university but there's this <coughs> emphasis on having a, a sort of a general general culture mm-hmm. I, yeah I just I just thought of something when you're talking about pir- piracy and and uh, whatnot um, this novel's written in in the in the fifties. It was a nineteen sixty Hugo nominee. It makes me wonder if this depiction of piracy and the whole philosophical ideas of stasis versus disorder that the novel kind of engages with, but only light only only very lightly through the through the ambassador and the grandfather. I wonder if that's a product of its time. If in other words, in our much more chaotic twenty first century, that this novel really couldn't be written this way. This in this way, because we we don't have the same sort of uh, overarching cultural mindset. I mean, the fifties was a time of relative stability and solidity. The sixties wasn't weren't weren't ready to boil over. And now, of course, in the twenty first century, we have our own sorts of problems. I wonder if this novel, I wonder if you tried to write this novel in twenty first century, it wouldn't just fall flat because people just wouldn't wouldn't go for it because we don't we don't have that. Or we don't, we're not in a position of order to look at injections of disorder as a potentially positive thing. We're in a very precarious sort of situation and getting more precarious by the day. And I, I'm not sure where I'm going with this. I just wanted to hear all your thoughts about the fact that this novel may just may not work today just because of the way society and our world has changed in the last 50 years. I, I've got uh, three quotes of reviews uh, from people. Uh, Frederick Pohl uh, said, It would not seem possible that after 30 years of space pirate stories, any writer could make one come alive, but Bron Hodan is a rather unique space pirate, and Murray Leinster is nearly unique in science fiction, or uh, uh, is a nearly unique science fiction writer. P. Schuller Miller praised the novel as, quote, a rare old piece of Leinsterian adventure yearning. 
which is great. <laughs> uh, and then uh, a reviewer in Amazing Stories, uh, S.E. Cotts, I've never heard of this person, was less enthusiastic, describing it as, quote, a piece of lightweight science fiction guaranteed for entertainment purposes only. I think guaranteed entertainment is true. I don't know only, but it's it yeah. seems lightweight, but I I don't know if it's it's not as heavy as some, but I, it's heavier than many. I, I, I think it's just, there's a strong leaven, leavening of the comic element that kind of, it, I mean, that the, the philosophy we've been discussing the last hour kind of sneaks up on yeah. you and <laughs> and is blended into the, into mm. the into what Hodan gets himself into. I mean, there's plenty of philosophy and thought in here, but it's just not it's not it is very light compared to heinlein who would give it many more lectures well, yeah yeah, yeah it, and weirder sex yes that, that, that's all exactly sense there's not all. much body in it that's <laughs> yeah. why you gender flippant there's not much body in it it's it's um the that's whole right. thing is around brains and brand makes me there's something funny about the names i think brand mm-hmm. makes me think about think of brains um Oh, on the audible audio um, book, they pronounced it Hoden, so it sounded like Odin, and <laughs> and, and Bran is is um uh, also the god of the underworld. It's the Raven. That's why I um, mean Game of Thrones. Uh, Bran is the three eyed Raven. Right, right. Um, I was thinking, thinking Bran. as in brawny, but he's not brawny, right? It's Bran versus Bran. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and um, Darth, uh, I'm, I can't remember. I've been here 37 years in, in France. I, I can't remember how I used to pronounce uh, um, Darth. But I seem um, to remember that maybe once uh, I pronounced it Darth. Anyhow, um, uh, Darth makes me think of a – it's named and afterwards they say it's low in technology and it's a, um, a Darth. Well, they don't use the word sure. um, but it's a, a dearth in, in, in technology. Um, so there are all these um, things with the names. Mm-hmm. Um, the order, I, to answer Paul's idea, the order and disorder or order and chaos thing is, ty- is maybe um, no longer applicable because um, capitalism is based on producing as much disorder as possible. That's what- <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> we can take more and more. We're more and more powerful in being able to take more and more disorder. But is there a, a breaking point? And crim seems to be the ultimate, um, which means it sounds like criminal, seems to be the ultimate um, capitalist thing where everything is um, uh, insurances, insuring, insurances, insuring, insurances. Yep. But the other thing that seems to be um, behind that or, or with it that is still applicable is um sublimation walden is sublimation right. and you don't you can't sublimate even with all the drugs um the, of course it's full of crackpots and as soon as they got a, a cheap death ray everybody would want to kill everybody else oh and, and, they, and yeah the, 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 but for like spite right not, not yeah. it's not it's not because they they want to go raiding right and so no. when and I think that there is a subtle sort of hidden intellectual side to this story that's underneath all the comedy, because it, you, all the things you're pointing to, I think, are exactly spot on. And so there is one more review uh, by John Clute, who in the Encyclopedia of 
science fiction calls it, quote, a competent but unremarkable space opera. I, I don't uh, 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 competent, absolutely unremarkable. I would say it certainly fits in a in a, it's complementary to a number of others, but I'm not a thousand percent sure it's a space opera as much as it is a planetary romance, a series well, of them, right? Yeah, yeah. Looking for comparisons, it makes me think, um, in a way, of um, uh, the the Odyssey, um, because it's that sort of picaresque. Um, sure. uh, you go sure, from one but, planet to yeah. except um, at the end, um, uh, Ulysses decides he doesn't want to go back um, to Penelope uh, after all because she's 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 wonderful, she's she's nice, but what he wants is something more. He wants delightful, mm-hmm. which is which is pain in the neck as well, and so chooses <laughs> to go to um, uh, back with Circe. That's right. And in fact, um, the Penelope in this story is, is it's not like they're married, right? She doesn't even decide if she's going to consider it. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, I, I think you're, you're absolutely right. I have a, uh, a really important part. Oh, sorry, go for it. Well, I was going to say, um, this had been kind of coming to mind as we were talking about all the stasis versus richness versus um you know chaos and poverty and all this stuff and um when paul was asking his question it popped up to mind again so i'm just going to mention it when we're talking about all this what came to mind was jesus saying feel sorry for the rich man he is going to have a hell of a time getting into heaven and he's basically saying the very things about wal you know that they're saying in this book about walton mm-hmm they're not motivated. They're not doing anything. They're not going to be able to open themselves up to anything new, like sacrifice or spiritual richness or anything like that. So maybe the story wouldn't work now quite as well, but it's obviously a cyclical need, you know, because you can find these themes going way, way back. I found it very, very readable and entertaining. And I was thinking, I, sh- I want to read more of these. I was actually, I'm, I'm going to maybe. We'll talk about more of this after, more, but um, more I was like thinking, this? oh, well, um, more. Uh, there are other Leinsters on there are, the there, PDF are, page, there, are, which... there are other yep, uh, the Runaway Skyscraper, and we've mentioned a couple others before. I was, I was, yeah. I was thinking the Terror at Night. Well, the Forgotten <laughs> Planet is another Ace Double that's oh out. yeah, First Contact, um, uh, yeah, uh, a logic, uh, a logic named Joe. Maybe a little day, but also kind of predicted the internet. Oh, it's kind of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's um, Journey to Barkut and a whole, a whole bunch of other stuff. Something available from the Abyss. Yeah. And I was thinking also there's a Lester Del Rey that I I read a long time ago that's quite enjoyable and kind of similar. Um, in Is that too? Because I already has like a billion uh, pen names. Uh, no, M- Murray Leinster is uh, Will Jenkins, I think. Yeah, William <laughs> Jeff- William F. Jenkins. Yeah. Yeah. He had, he had another one too. Oh yeah. Cowboy he, he, stories. He's a. Yeah, he was a writing machine, and he's yeah. one of the first, uh, one of the earliest science fiction writers yeah, of the I pulp mean, era. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he he cut his teeth in yeah that sort of pulp environment. I mean, mm. I mean it's, and it's sort of way. That was that was what Bill K, our beloved Philip Dick, was trying to do, trying to be a machine like Leinster, and with the story just turning them out. But times had changed, but when by the time Dick had gotten going from from when Leinster was able to just like turn out stories and make a living out of it. Yeah, because if you're going to make a living, you better write a lot of stories. There's the one, maybe, Julie, you've read this. Um, I was thinking about maybe we could do um, called uh, Police Your Planet by Lester Del Rey. 
Oh, I don't remember that one. Pretty sure that's public domain and that I read it years ago. Um, but it, it's a. Did you read it, Paul? Uh, it sounds familiar. I have to look it up real quick. There's another one called Badge of Infamy that is on the PDF page, but I'll look into those and maybe we'll find something. Because I, I did really enjoy this. I found it very. Um, uh, it's light. It's uh, there's a an, another one that's like this um, by uh, Phil Posey Farmer. Um, the Green Planet or whatever. I think that's what it's called. The Green Planet. We should read that no, one. I, Green Odyssey. That's yes, it. Green it. Odyssey. I do. That was one of the first I ever read that was kind of like that. It, yeah, like, I haven't read it in a long time, but it was um, enjoyable. Planetary romance, basically. You know, you've got an intergalactic human civilization that's spread around the galaxy. Um, and then you basically you drop somebody into a foreign culture and see how they interact. And their interactions are usually pretty comedic because mm-hmm. um, it, that's that's what humans are. They're pretty funny. Yeah, isn't it just that like one, it, that does he like become like a slave on the planet and has to escape? There's a, yeah, oh, yeah, that's it's right. A, I believe the line is there's a smelly queen. Yeah, I was going to say there's a barbarian queen who he doesn't like, I think. No. And, yeah, right. I think it's right long right. ago. But yeah, yeah. yeah, I would be up for doing that. Sure. All right. I, I want to read this. This is um, another reason to love this book. Uh, I, I don't know why I'm reading from all these different ver- sources, but uh, <laughs> I'm reading from a Google ebook that says you can buy it for $1.32. Mm-hmm. And, um, here it says he delicately disassembled the set in his room and began to put some of the parts together in a novel. Oh, sorry, in a novel, but wholly rational fashion. <laughs> the science of electronics, like the science of mathematics, had progressed away beyond the point where all of it had practical application. Uh, another very nice sweeping line. One could spend a lifetime learning things that research had discovered in the past, and an industry, and sorry, an industry had never found a use for. And the, this is absolutely true. And then the next line, this is the most important line in the book. On Zen, industriously reading pirated books, Hodan hadn't known where utility stopped. <laughs> yeah. He kept on learning long after a practical man would have stopped studying to get a paying job. <laughs> this is why the book speaks to me. <laughs> Everything he did was based on pirated books. Yes. That's so important. And, that and the thing is, is, uh, when he says pirated books, I think he literally means like somebody went into somebody's house and stole their books and brought them onto the pirate ship and then brought them back to Zan. Whereas the pirate books I think of are like the ones that you go onto the torrent site and get because you can't like, for example, one of my best friends, Julie, you might even know him. I won't mention his name, but he started this website with me. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> was complaining that there was uh, a book he wanted that was, not available in his region, um, and I and I said, "Do you want me to uh, look into it for you?" And he said, "If you would." And I said, "You know, I'm going to have to confess this when I come time for my oh, deathbed no. conversion." Oh, no. And he says, "Yes, I know. I'll add it to the list." I said, and I <laughs> went. And He's found- willing to take that into his own soul. Oh uh, my, sin eater! <laughs> I think there's something real about the. <laughs> The piracy thing, um, yeah. given that I get the feeling that maybe the title, The Pirates of uh, Ezart, is uh, already a parody of um, the Gilbert and Sullivan. Um, oh, 
pins oh. him. Oh, God! Pirates, You're so right. The pirates have pins that. You are so you right. Are. Oh, that's brilliant. And, and the, the thing about the pirates of Penzance was what they're making fun of the romantic idea of piracy, but that was the first um, uh, operette they did where they were fighting against piracy because as soon as they brought something out in, in England, it was copied um, in the United States um, with, with um, no <laughs> control. The pirate nation known as the United States. My friend, uh, my friend Fred Heimbaugh wrote a whole novel that's about <laughs> it's a yes. sort of alternate history of the United States as a pirate nation, with you know Blackbeard as president, and <laughs> it's pretty good. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. it's 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 uh there there are a lot of you know the for the longest time England was complaining about American copyright laws. Oh yeah, now uh, you know we're in we're there. The United States maintains a shit list of countries that are, you know, bad on the naughty. Um, Canada's been moved off of the the massively shit shit list. And <laughs> moved to us another one because we're promising to ruin our copyright laws uh, and make bring them in line with other countries, not the United States, which has actually more liberal copyright laws than other countries get. Um, I know because I find all these loopholes that are built in <laughs> right. system, right? Um, but yeah, it, they want to change it to 70 years instead of 50 years after death, which would, if this comes to pass, that's going to be really evil. Yeah. Ruining, ruining perfectly good little piratey lives. I, I guess know. not non-piratey lives. Maybe I should be happy that more piracy will happen rather than less, but I just want the books. That's honestly, I don't really care how I get them as long as I can get them. Pirated or unpirated. Yo-ho-ho. Yo-ho-ho and a <laughs> And a bottle and a and a bag full of books. That's it. That sounds right. Which we should read Long John Silver Treasure Island. I want to hear more about that laughing shall I die. Is that an audiobook? No, I was hoping it would be, and maybe eventually it will be. But I did notice I was looking at the the way the punctuation was done and knowing Tom Shippey is British and all this, so I was looking at the copyright page mm-hmm. and it was First published in 2018, and then in parentheses it said reprinted three more times in 2018. Mm. And it's just so, gosh, he just writes it so well. Um, you know, he, the premise, as I said, is that, you know, everybody either has the comic book version which is the horns on the helmets and all this kind of thing of a Viking or the academics who've begun taming the pirates and go, or the pirates, sorry, Vikings and saying, Oh no, they farmed. They did this stuff. They, and he's like, no, the word Viking means marauder or pirate. Right. Let's go. Viking. Yeah. And he says, so almost all uh, Vikings, I keep wanting to call them pirates. Almost all Vikings were Scandinavians, but almost no Scandinavians were pirates. Right. He's like, it's so he's saying he's looking at the stories, the death stories or the sagas of 10 different famous Vikings. He says, because these were written over hundreds of years apart from each other, but they all have these striking similarities, even though they often were from places that never heard or talked to each other. And he says, so what can we find out from this? Which is that, you know, it was a death cult. And the better you went out, the better it was. Even if you were dying, that's fine. It meant you were more of a hero. 
you get yeah, you get a you get a song out of it, right? Well, right, and you also often have like one of those great like dirty hairy type lines, and if you're really good heroic style. You're saying something that's going to be the mean punchline of a joke that's going to come back and bite the people who kill you right in the butt. I mean, it's 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 fascinating. And he does a really good job with the comparisons. So he's using a lot of different comparisons where you instantly know what he's getting at, like, you know, the Wild West, partly mm-hmm. real and partly imagination. The Vikings, that same way. Um or the way you do threats versus warnings, like on the schoolyard. He goes, that's how this would have read in a Viking story. Mm-hmm. So it's very readable, and he's got a good sense of humor. So Damn, we need an I recommend it. Yeah. I know. I was wanting one because I listened to the only thing he has on Audible is a great courses on heroes in different books. And he, I can hear his voice in this, in his writing, and I wish there was an audio book of it. So mm-hmm. maybe there will be. If there is, I'll let you know now I, I just i just searched the pirate website and it's not there it's not on audible i assume um, yeah that's that's um, it's just uh, maybe she'll do one sometime need one yeah uh terence you r- were doing some extra homework for us uh you oh. read a, a campbell story yeah. yes he's the last campbell story the last campbell story the last one he ever wrote what was it um, I don't have the title. I think it's just called Angels. Oh. Yeah, in fact, um, this is something you were uh, inspired by our astounding show, I think. Yes, it was um, mentioned in the Navala Lee book. Right. So because it was his last short story, I wanted to read it. So, so it was a little, um, it's out of print, so it was a little difficult to, to find on the internet, um, and it corresponded uh, exactly to um, uh, an idea that a, a, a very um, obscure French philosopher, Laruelle, um, was talking about where he claims that he's doing not philosophy but non-philosophy and that it corresponds to rotating philosophy around um, uh the um, Cartesian axis uh, by 90 degrees, so it goes on to the imaginary axis. It's, axis is like multiplying by the square root of minus one, and that somehow philosophy becomes a sort of science fiction. And every, nobody ever explains what he says, and it, it's all very strange. And then I found this story by Campbell where he talks about um, uh, people being... Um, complex numbers and um, uh, uh, existing on the um, imaginary axis and uh, <laughs> on the real axis. And it's a, a big joke. It's really funny. Well, it's sort of funny. And um, <laughs> you could, could take it as a um, just a, a last joke before he, he gives up uh, writing. But at the same time, you know, because it's the last, you think maybe there's some sort of wisdom in it. And uh, to me, it looked like a, a definition, his definition of, of science fiction. Mm. I'm trying to find it here. Uh, do you know what year it was? Uh, I forget. I think it was 50-something. I'll, I'll look it up in the... The Idealist is, looks like it might have been his last short story. It's a novelette. Um, yeah, I, I, I remember... 
looking it up at the time and then I've forgotten about it and lost the name just like you. Um, it, it sounded, I, I, I've seen you say that on tweets, um, uh, philosophy versus non-philosophy. And I'm like, I still don't know what that means. And then usually, usually there's a Deleuze and somebody else saying something about that thing. And I'm like, okay, still don't know anything. This. Uh, He's God beyond everyone. It's yeah. called of the Nature of Angels, and it was published in September in the September 1971 issue. Um, it's his post. What did they say? Um, his posthumous farewells. It's the last piece of fiction that he ever wrote. So 1971 he... issue of of uh, Astounding. Yes. Okay. Um. In, it's not showing up on the ISFDB, but that's what was the title again? On the Nature of Angels. On the Nature. Yeah, I'll, not on ISFDB. Hmm. I'll read the Nevada Lee summary, maybe, um, because um, it could be clearer than what I said. Campbell proposed that the soul was a complex number in which the variable B stood for the level of sin. So it's a pun, sin, uh, oh, just sorry. sin and sin. Yes. Yes. No, yes. The exact level at which a spirit became good or evil after death. So it would be best, he said, to keep our soul's B value as close to zero uh, as possible. Yeah, that sounds B. like him. Yeah, it does sound very compelling. <laughs> seen. There it is. Uh, for, when I search for it, guess what comes up? Your blog. <laughs> 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 Interesting. Yeah, no wonder you had trouble finding it. Is it? It's. Uh, yeah, analog September 1971. Maybe I'll dig that out and put it up, even though it's not public domain. Mm, don't get in trouble, Jesse. Don't be Paul, is that almost <laughs> no, none of the time will anybody. That's the, the really sad part, right? Is that all you're doing generally when you're adhering to copyright law is benefiting nobody. You're actually hurting people because most of the time, Almost everything's abandoned and uncared for, right? So that's why, uh, Julie, your experience is that you you, you yeah. play a little bit fast and loose with this stuff, and then what <laughs> happens? Authors love that you are paying any attention yeah. to them. Yeah, maybe that'll help their sales one day. Ask Possibly. me to read another book that's or right. another story. Yeah, it makes sense. So. Uh, it's not like I'll just go, I'll just read this as a sample of the other short stories. That's it. And right. yeah, they'll say, oh, um, oh, a friend clued me into this. And I'm like, oh, crap. Yeah. I I thought about my own story differently after I heard it. Do you want to read another one? I'm like, oh, thank goodness. You know, yeah, yeah. people just uh, they want uh, they, they put this out there and then nobody cared. And then somebody wants to care about it and. They they feel intimidated not to so mm-hmm. definitely definitely pirates are nice folks that's what I learned from this book <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that was the they're one. generally helpful and all you know <laughs> they even good. help the insurance industry come on <laughs> I did love that and we didn't really talk about it but that's almost like Walden to the nth level where they're not just sitting around they're still making money they're doing things they know the ways around all the rules. No one's some bothering them because they're still progressing. Took a hit, right? <laughs> and it's their own, yes. Damaged. It's their own piracy. Story for them. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's no harm as long as you reintroduce romance and adventure and daring do to a galaxy headed for decline. Oh. Right. I, he wasn't a young man when he wrote this, right? 
No, this is one of the sure. stories, so definitely. Yeah, I mean, he was he was right that I think the the Runaway Skyscraper was like I think considered his first science fiction story, and that was in the mid thirties. Yeah, the twenties maybe might have been the twenties, no, Paul. Uh, nope. Uh, oh wait, oh my god, 19, oh my god, nineteen nineteen. There you oh my go. God, that was way off. Yeah, he was very very early in science fiction, so there there you know there. When it was called STF, right, Science Fiction, um, he was one of the new people in Amazing who, you know, you would see in Amazing, you would see Jules Verne, you would see Edgar Allan Poe and H.G. Wells. And then um, Grinsback would start adding new people and new stuff or stuff that he'd written or something else. But there weren't that many folks who were writing or understood the concept of science fiction as a genre yet. Um, he was pioneering that. So the fact that he writes this one quite late, 59 is a lot of, what's that, 40 years later, right? Yeah. With all that genre science fiction between 1919 and 1959, that's a lot of science fiction. That's the bulk of it, really. Um, and it it's a pretty good book. Well, mm-hmm. what's interesting about him to me is I just found these in, in various ways on um, LibriVox, you know, mm-hmm. listened to one and then went, oh. And so he – but he wrote all kinds of stuff, so not a lot of it is funny, really. You know, there's one about something horrible happens and this guy and this girl wind up on the lamb because it's like aliens have taken over the entire area. They spend the whole time running away trying to figure out what's going on. That one's serious. I mean, I remember listening to that with bated breath, trying to figure it out. Um, there's, it's, it's, there's one, I think it's Creature of the Abyss or something. It's a similar mm-hmm. thing. It's a monster story. It's got a twist. It's not exactly what you think. But so he wrote, you can tell he wrote for, you know, all these other pulp magazines too, because it's like, well, I'll add in this thing and that's science fiction. Mm-hmm. He was good. I mean, for a good basic, whole type story which i love he was so good and he was he was super in, innovative too i don't think i've done a uh, murray leinster episode before i mean it's 500 episodes so i, I can't quite recall but pretty sure i haven't <laughs> but i read a lot of his stuff you know he he uh did a, a story called sideways in time which is which was the first uh, one i read yeah very hearing yeah. in in alternate universe uh fiction right yeah yeah because I just want to talk about that one for a second. I don't think it's on Letterbox. We may not do a story because, like, because I was I was so stunned because by because basically the idea that it is is basically pieces of Earth start getting replaced with pieces of Earth from other continua, and at the uh-huh. end, not all not everything goes back to normal. They like, for example, passenger pigeons which had become extinct by that point are back because a piece of Earth that had them stayed around so there's passenger pigeons there's all sorts of other weird pieces of earth other different earths that, that remain behind when things settle down again it's 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 pulpy goodness i i read the story years and years ago when i was in really really into altered histories and stuff and it's like hey i i like this guy let me write read more of his stuff and that's how i got to start reading other other things of his like the runaway skyscraper and whatnot but yeah mm-hmm. that, that was my first line sir sidewise in time yeah and uh, mm. there's a whole genre of science fiction, uh, basic or industry, uh, Star Trek, basically, which is yeah. uh, First Contact was his his um, 
short story mm-hmm. about you know humans meeting aliens in outer space and oh, how yeah. are they going to engage with each other? And they come up with a system like, well, we should blast you out of the sky. Well, we should blast you out of the sky. And is that they, the one with the two spaceships who are both kind of foundering and? That's right. They collide. Yeah. that's a great story yeah it's a great story it's not completely plausible but it feels campbell like campbell said here's an idea and murray leinster took it and unlike um for tom godwin who couldn't write his way out of a wet paper bag um he actually did something with this idea and really did good work because that story is memorable even if it's Mm -hmm. you know the visiplates might be a little old fashioned and the controls Mm -hmm. might be a little old fashioned um and and despite the constraints of Campbell's, uh, you know, system, it's a really powerful and very interesting uh, story that is highly influential. Guy really was a good writer. He's mm-hmm. not not stylized in the way that um, you know Dick is or Heinlein is. That you know he's got this thick accent that in, infests every sentence. But uh, as we noted, there are a number of beautiful sentences in here and a lot of nice little bits of philosophy. So I do, I think maybe I should pay more attention to getting more Leinster up. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. Because there's yeah, no the point in having this conversation really unless it's recorded, you know. You guys value nothing <sighs> to me unless I <gasps> turn you into commercial product Jesse, on the internet. What you said. <laughs> Come on, man. Speaking Come of which, Julie, this is, is to yeah. s- avoid us from talking oh, no. about the show uh, that we're going to talk about. Um, did you hear that uh, Tales to Terrify is for sale? No. Uh, this is a very weird concept. Instead of like he, he I know uh, Tony Smith was looking for a host for that. Uh, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess he was having trouble finding one. So he came up with another solution, which is to sell it. <laughs> which is That's very weird. Is he selling his show? Yes. Yeah, I mean, he has another show, the one that he, you know, right. Starship Sofa. Yeah, and the thing is, is he 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 years and years ago he went on a uh, uh, I I thought it was a bad idea. Um, it kind of worked out and kind of didn't in in a sense, which was to expand and expand and expand. So he made right. acting project pulp and uh, Tales to Terrify, and I think there was another one too. There was like four. Yeah, it was. I can't remember what it was. And you just spread yourself too thin. Uh, uh, this is why I'm worried about <laughs> doing uh, reading short and deep. I, I don't know if I can do two shows at the same time. Turns out I can, but <laughs> yeah, you've been doing it for a while. Just but, don't do three. Yeah, well, you 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 can't host three regular sh- uh, four regular shows and and have a life and stuff like that. So, um, it, what what do you think about this? I I, I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily, but I I just well, then it turns into a real radio, more of a radio show, it seems like. Because if somebody's going to buy it, aren't they going to? I mean, you know how a lot of them have advertising and everything. So, yeah. Um, I just think of those are like being like radio shows, you well, know. He's, he's, he's been fundraising for his shows for a long time. So that's mm-hmm. sort of, I, I guess they have some sort of commercial value. But uh, 
like I was thinking, yeah, I, oh, I could put in, I could put in a bid, like a low bid, and and then just raid his archives and steal all his, <laughs> his, uh, you know, audiobooks that he's put in there. Now <laughs> we know how you think. It's I, the first I, thing I, you go to. IP well, taking. Yes, but notice I would do it and give it away and not, <laughs> you know, do it. It would be like this. It'd be like buying somebody's, uh, you know, big book collection. Now, yeah. Then you'd start a library with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, scan um, them and, and put them up online, right? Well, it's like anything, right? Does it have value to the people who, somebody who would want to buy it? I don't know what kind of value it's got built up in terms of, because I, I can't listen to those stories. They terrify. <laughs> They're tales to terrify. Yeah. And they do. So I have to stick with Mr. Jim Moon. Yeah, he's got some scary stories. but I don't but, listen to the really scary ones. Okay. Well, I don't listen to him talking about anything except I just listen to the stories he's reading, except the Christmas, the Halloween and the but, you know, a lot of the other stuff I'm not hooked up with. So. So, Terrence, what what should I do? Should I uh, read the archives? You're, you're the philosopher here. Special <laughs> ethics, I hope. I don't know. Uh, you're in favor of piracy. <laughs> That's true. Good one. Uh. I like it. So I should just steal his his uh, yeah. his archives rather than pay yes. him with wow. with his agreement. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, kind of like yeah, like the book trying to work in the system, but never it doesn't work. I have a feeling that uh, that it would not work. Uh, my idea because I I doubt he has permission to sell those things for cutting up. Like he he asked a lot of authors for, for yeah uh, stories right so it, I I would I mean I I don't well then you buy it for a low bid and then you just rerun them free yeah I, I yeah I, I I just don't I don't think he should uh, do it n- no 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 I I just don't think they should be deleted like what's funny is oh. a lot of early Tony C Smith shows are missing you know right. Like, it just disappeared. So if somebody doesn't have a hard drive with them somewhere, and that was a time when hard drives were more expensive, I don't know. I, I have to think about this a lot more. But also, you know, I, I don't want to delete everything, but I also don't want to store everything. He had a lot of shows. <laughs> so, yeah. Something to think about. It's just a weird idea. I, I, I guess it comes time. Uh, people... I'm sure somebody sold a podcast before, but not like one of these ones, right? Be like, imagine it's yeah, not a private sale, one, right? Mm-hmm. That'd be a weird idea, rather than some commercial venture that was always a commercial venture, right? <clears throat> Where it's a it's sponsored by a radio station. Or, I mean, yeah, radio station or, or some outlet or something. Yeah, already. I mean, it would. I mean, it'd be the equivalent of someone self-publishing a book and then a publisher picking up that book. And republishing it on their own brand. Oh, That's yeah. happened. I, I know, know. The Martian. The Martian. The Martian. Yeah. Um, Zero Sum Game. There's a few others. But it's not common. It's it's kind of unusual. I was, uh, I was talking about The Martian arguing with somebody on the internet, which is what I do for my day job. <laughs> um, about, about the cold equations. Um, and, you know, everybody thinks it's a shitty story. I, I agree. It's a shitty story. But well. I, uh, it? well, it's, it's not well written, is what I mean. It's so fun, though. It's important. Yeah. It's very, very important, and it's yes. 
thing. Seminal, fun? I think. Is... I'm, I'm, I'm not nope. sure fun is the adjective I've ever <laughs> used for the cold equations. It's no mental. No, 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 the Martian, the Martian. Oh, okay, I oh. thought you were talking about well, the cold I was going to say, wow, now I know more about well, MISA than I wanted to know. That's the thing. The Martian is the same thing. It's the same story, right? It's yeah. the same premise. It's the same problem, which is I got this tech- technical problem, uh, but it has a happy ending. Right. So people. It's all American, buddy. All American. We can win. I don't know. I don't well, know. No, I'm just saying it's the American attitude. I just keep trying. Can do. Yeah. 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 That's all I'm saying is he's telling it from, you know, that's the space program. That's all these heroic stories. That's sorry. I may be influenced by I just started reading uh, Laughing I Shall Die or Shall I Die, which is the Viking thing, which is by Tom Shippey. And that's. You know, yeah. about how it's a death cult. I'm like, so it's, you know, the American way is completely different. You never give up and you never surrender. That's the same. But, you know, to go down defeated and laughing and telling mean jokes to the people, that's not the American way. You win. So there. That's the oh. Canadian way. Do <laughs> it to go down? You're, you're the Viking descendants? Is that no, it? no, those are to make snide comments while the Americans are oh. doing what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, wow. that's the whole world. Let's deal with it. And half the Americans, depending on which side's winning. So, you know. All right. Well, now that we've primed the pump sufficiently to uh, annoy everybody <laughs> in the world, <laughs> maybe we can uh, do a show on the Pirates of Ersatz. Am I saying that? That word, right? Wow. Is that how you say it? Ersatz? I think I'm saying it wrong. Ersatz? Ersatz? Ersatz. Ersatz. That's how it is. Ersatz. Not Ersatz, then. <laughs> There's an S in there. Ersatz. Ersatz. It's Ersatz. like an like A. The S is a Z in German, isn't it? Uh, it? It is a German word, I think, right? So you could say Ersatz or Ersatz. Okay, either way, we win. Oh, okay. Excellent. Let's all say it a different way. We will sow <laughs> chaos and progress at the same time. All right. Um, That's what I'm saying. Er, oh, oh. <laughs> I like it. Okay. All right. So, um, I'm just, I, I got a little folder of inspirational covers um, that I haven't shared with you yet. Uh but I'll I'll share them after the podcast. Oh. <laughs> All right, commenting in admiration the whole time. That's right. Stuff. You'll be upset. Um, there are two PDF versions on the PDF page right now, and the PDF page is back up. It was offline. Um, the uh, astounding version with um, the great cover and interior illustrations over three issues, and then there's the uh, Ace Double Half. I actually got that from the library because I was like, oh, I'll get it. Pirates of Zan, it was printed as. Mm-hmm. And I picked it up and I went, why is this story not starting off the way I remember? And then I looked at the backside and went, oh, it's a double. Wow, they still had a double in your library? Yeah, and they let me check it out. Amazing. Wow. I know. Or I should say astounding. <laughs> <laughs> a you joke are on <laughs> All right. Um so, uh, I believe it'll go Jesse, Paul, Misa, Julie, uh, Terrence. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah? All right. Um, you know you know how this goes, Terrence. You've done this many times, right? No. <laughs> You've heard the podcast, though, I think. 
But I didn't uh, discover the rules. The rules are, <laughs> what we say at the beginning is, hi, I'm Jesse. And then ah. Paul will say, hi, I'm Paul. Or he'll add some, uh, what, what are those things called? Um, Palace Athena. What's that palace part? Uh, well, epithet. I'll yeah, add an epithet. Going epithet yes. <laughs> Don't throw an epithet at the next person. <laughs> All yeah. right, here we go. Yeah, You'll figure it out. 